politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen to the one and only CR podcast here at Blaze Media. Are you ready to get fired up on this Tuesday, January 5th? Well, if so, you've come to the right place. Daniel Horowitz back in the house for the second day of this tumultuous week, month, and year. And speaking of being fired up, you know, I watched some of the Trump rally last night, and I was thinking to myself, could you imagine if you took all that energy from all these rallies and you divided them by county and state and created a grassroots organization to get involved with the local candidates for the local offices on the local issues, but really the national issues the civilization issues of our time, but where the power really resides at a local level. Imagine if Trump led that and endorsed from school board and sheriff on up to governor only anti-lockdown and pro-law and order candidates. Imagine what a country we would be. Folks, it ain't gonna rise or fall on that Georgia Senate race. Look, if you're in Georgia, you want to vote for them, that's fine. I'm certainly not against it. But just recognize they were making it out to seem as if everything hinges on that. It's like the Republic is lost if they if they lose and it's saved if they won. And it's like, dude, it's worse than you think and a little better than you think at the same time. It's a lot more complex than that. Politics is not a math. It's an art. It's looking at a totality of circumstances, which we're going to talk about a little bit more today with regard to the fight on certification of the election and constitutional thinking, looking at the totality of circumstances. And speaking of constitutional acumen, folks, I want you to join me and Patriot Academy by going to constitutioncoach.com. Most conservatives say they love the Constitution, they love guns, but many do not know how to properly use guns or at least win a gunfight, defend themselves in a self-defense situation. Many people don't understand the Constitution. Well, my buddy Rick Green at constitutioncoach.com at a Patriot Academy, he does both Constitution training and self-defense training. And this February 7th, and then later in the week as well, I believe February 11th, they're going to run three- and five-day classes at Front Sight, Nevada for defense training. It is amazing. It's so much fun. It's the best gun training you'll ever have. And you'll be around fellow patriots to organize at a local level. What if we all met each other? Well, you know what? I will be out there once again, probably for the three-day course, Um, But if you can't make it, then go for the five-day course. 90% off the cost if you do it through constitutioncoach.com as opposed to directly through the facility. Um, It's top-notch training, but it is very expensive. So if you do it through constitutioncoach.com, you could get the learning, the training, the camaraderie between fellow patriots and meet all the fellow CR podcast listeners as well as myself. Really looking forward to it. And folks, that's really where we need to head. I can't talk to people before this Georgia Senate race because everyone's fixated on it. But when the dust settles, it won't matter. So do Democrats have a 95-seat majority or a 97-seat majority? I mean, really, let let me just demonstrate this to you. 
Okay, I'm going to go through every major budget bill that has passed through Trump's presidency. Okay. H.R. 244, the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2017. Just 18 Republicans in the Senate opposed it. 18. Okay. The blank check check debt limit increase that year, 2017, 17 Republicans opposed it. The Target Act, which was the FY 2018 omnibus, 26 Republicans opposed. The FY 2019 Cromnibus, just six Republicans opposed it. And And in each case, they joined almost every Democrat, often every Democrat. The 2018 Trillion Dollar Farm Bill, just 13 Republicans opposed it in the Senate. The FY 2019 Homeland Security Omnibus Bill that ended the shutdown without funding the border wall. Just 13 Republicans opposed it. The debt ceiling increase and buzz, busting of the budget caps. Just 24 Republicans opposed it. The FY 2020 CR. Just 16 Republicans opposed it. And then of course the 5,593 page Omnibus Bill that just passed with the COVID bailouts for states and the education cartel. Just six Republicans opposed it. So don't sit and tell me that, oh, we're teetering at 50, 51, 52 votes. No, we're not. But where this does make a difference is in states and counties where voters overwhelmingly chose Trump, where Republicans already have significant majorities and control all the offices, That is our opportunity to fight back at a local level. It needs to be done. You know, Madison Madison gave his famous speech at the Constitutional Convention, and he said, is it a smaller republic or a larger republic where liberty is more preserved? And his point was a lot of people think, you know, a larger republic is more tyrannical. But his point was, well, certainly if you have a large republic as one unit, then it could then you know you have all consolidated power but you don't want one unit in a state either because that's consolidated power even at a smaller level his point was it was so much easier for one faction to seize control but what he figured was that if you had a bunch of states a federal large republic filtered through a bunch of states you can't have one faction seize control everywhere and shockingly that's what you have today Really, in nearly all 50 states and nearly all 3,300 counties, the statists pretty much are in charge. And that's how badly complacent we have been. That's what we've been doing for so many years because we want that instant gratification. Oh, the vote for this one president or this one Senate race and it's all going to tip the balance. It doesn't work that way. You got to get organized. You got to get engaged on the issues. You got to get engaged on a street level. The Democrats control the street, too. I don't mean just like mobbing cars, but I mean, you know, pressuring businesses, making the culture in a certain area that you have to support something at an education level, at a business level, at an NGO level, at a homeowners association level. We need to stop being shy voters. And I don't just mean voting. Fight, 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 vote, vote. 
That takes three seconds. You just fill out a ballot. It's not a big deal. Do it if you want. I'm certainly not against it. But what we really need is imagine if you took all of the people around the country that went to Trump rallies and you organized them. This is what we need to do. But my fear is too many people are fat and happy. I just got my $3,000. I checked my checking account and $3,000 going in there from the feds. You know, I'm a family of five. I mean, six now, but as of last year's taxes, I'm getting $3,000. And that was the lower level. Trump wanted to do more. Is it worth it? No. But it's, it makes too much of a, our, our people fat and happy. And that's not a good thing. Not by a long shot. And by the way, those of you who are business owners and are not getting any money, you're looking to save money all the time. We always have fixed expenses, utilities, insurance, things like that, where we kind of put on autopilot and we never check to see if we can get better rates, which is why I want to introduce you to Gabby Insurance. I'm not asking you to buy anything. I'm asking you to save money. You see, if you go to Gabby.com, you will find an aggregator. They don't sell insurance. What they do is they plug in your information. You just give them your information. It takes a couple of minutes. And boom, out pops a, an entire list, whether it's Progressive, Nationwide, Travelers, whatever, where they will show you the cheapest rates. Can you save more? I thought I had the best rates with Geico. They put together car and homeowners and I had very good rates, so they 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 saved me about 480 bucks in the end. But I had pretty good rates. I was with Geico for a long time. On average, they save people nine up to nine hundred and sixty-one dollars. I'm I'm not kidding. And often they give you a runaround. It takes you forever. Like if you go through those home builder websites where you want to put in how much does it cost to build a home, you, it will take all day to get an answer. You will get it emailed to you right away, and they're not going to spam you. They're not going to bother you. Um, like I said, customers have saved $961 on average a year. If they can't find you savings like they did me, then you know what? Then you'll see that and you'll relax by knowing that you're getting the best rates you'll ever get. They will never sell your info. So you're not going to get those annoying spam or robocalls. You're probably overpaying on car and home owners insurance just like I did. See how much Gabby can save you. It's totally free to check. There's no obligation. Takes a couple minutes. Go to Gabby.com slash Daniel. That is G-A-B-I.com slash Daniel. G-A-B-I.com slash Daniel. Now, again, I mean, we need a situation where you, you need private sector solutions to save money. I wish we were at that point, but sadly, under Republican governance, we have gotten to a point where, on average, 50% of the average person's income now comes from government. My point is, what we're doing is not working. Republicans are screwing with us. And because we failed at a federal level, if we continue focusing on the same things, it's not going to work. My idea is this. I've been saying this all along. You get about 15 people in each county that you know. And if you don't initially have that, if you have five, 
each person could recruit people because you need you need a certain size. Otherwise, people get burnt out. Then. What you do. Is you blitz your county officials, like I said, you get a focus on them. If they're already good, back them up. But there aren't too many who are. You have that group meet with the sheriff. And you make it very clear, dude, look, we have your back. We're going to back the blue, but you need to back us. And you're not going to turn your guns on business owners at a time of, of the greatest increase in violent crime in a generation. You're not going to do that to us. If he's receptive, that's great. And you, you've established that relationship. And you've laid down that marker against COVID fascism. If not, you got a primary challenge on your hand, and it's much more achievable than a larger race in terms of funding and name ID. Same thing with your school board officials with regard to school policies and the COVID fascism. Your county commission. You start dealing with the health. You say, hey, you're going to rein in that health department. The health department is going to do what a health department should do, which is give people good advice. Ivermectin hydroxychloroquine, zinc, vitamin D. Empower people. Don't empower yourselves. Follow the Constitution. And again, you know, you start in places, we're not talking about Baltimore or San Francisco. You're going to start in places where the majority of people voted for Trump. At least that's where I think we need to start. We should, you know, that, that should be the low-hanging fruit. Trump can won 83% of the counties. They're convening now. And you go to your county commission. You go, you meet with your state legislatures as well that are in your county, but it's, it's a state issue, but it all ties in. And you're like, dude, how do you have an emergency for 10 months and they're saying it's going to go on forever? An emergency by definition can't be more than a day or two because by then the legislative process needs to get involved. Where are you? And that's where we start proposing a constitutional sanctuary. That regardless of what goes on around us at a federal level, you will follow the Constitution. If you're a local or state official, you swear an oath to your state constitution and the federal constitution. And the federal constitution and most state constitutions, really all of them, preclude and prohibit everything that is going on with COVID fascism. You will follow the Constitution. You supply them with the, the, the proper data and talking points on the COVID stuff, and we're going to talk about that today. Some examples of that. You write in the local media, the local radio. So you do media, candidate recruitment, organizing, pressuring, meeting. It's, it, you'll see you will have much more clout per capita than voting in a federal election, which I'm not saying not to vote. I'm just saying this is how you do it bite-sized, but ironically, that's where the power is. What's going to determine whether you live free or not is not really going to be Joe Biden. If the county doesn't want to do it, they're not going to do it. And if you have the tyranny, it's not because of Biden, it's because your county government is messed up. And again, focus on local offices. I'm trying to recruit people at a national level to start working Trump. Trump could single-handedly create a Patriot Party. 
the first election cycle that might require them running as a Republican, but they could be a distinct slate of candidates. Think about it. Um, you know, Trump mentioned last night that he plans to campaign against Brian Kemp. Now, to him, it's personal, and I get it. But he should be doing this against everyone. Let's just take a look at the governors. Could you imagine what a better country this would be if in only the solid red states we would have solid governors like Ron DeSantis? But why do we keep coming back to him and we don't have other examples to toss around? Trump could end that tomorrow. He could end that dynamic tomorrow. He could make these people toast by recruiting candidates. It's that simple. That are against BLM, that are against lockdowns, that are for ordered liberty. Ohio. You have Mike DeWine, and and for Senate, you have Rob Portman. Two rhinos that are against Trump and are as liberal in every issue as you can imagine. What if they recruited, what if Trump recruited and supported Warren Davidson and Jim Jordan, whichever one you want to run, run for governor or Senate, to run against both of them? You have Kay Ivey in Alabama. Rhino governor. Alabama, total lockdown. Perfect opportunity there. You got in Arizona, Doug Duncey. Now, he is term limited. It's an open seat. But we have a terrible track record there. What if Trump said, I'll I'll back a guy like Andy Biggs? I don't know if he wants to, but I'm just saying, you get what I'm saying. You go, you go down the list. Arkansas, the guy's term limited. We should have a solid choice there. And governor is much more important than Senate. That's my point. We're seeing that because you're not just one voice among many in a broken institution with 90% rhinos. You could fully implement policies in that state. I mean, and that's what we're seeing in Florida. Idaho, Brad Chicken Little. Idaho, lockdown rhino. He's a liberal on everything. That guy should be gone. There's so many opportunities. There's also, you know, states like Kansas that have a Democrat governor that that's up for election. She should easily be vulnerable, but you need a good good conservative. Chris Sununu, he was just out there, the governor of New Hampshire. He was just out there mouthing off against uh, Trump today. Kevin Stitt in Oklahoma. I don't like him, but I don't know if we'll be able to get people to go up against him. Bill Lee in Tennessee, he's up. Total Muslim Brotherhood rhino. Refugee-obsessed clown. Talking about lockdown. And the big one is Greg Abbott in Texas. What if Trump supported Alan West? Mark Gordon in, in Wyoming. He was recently blaming people for spreading COVID. Mentally ill. 
It's settled science that what there's no correlation with with non-pharmaceutical inputs. The correlation is all regional and timing mechanically, regardless of what you do. So this is what we do. And then you have a unifying like contract with America, a declaration of rights and principles of what a government cannot do to you under COVID. And you push that in county commissions simultaneously in state legislatures. But I need help. I need help pushing this. Then you have each and every one of them push anti-crime, anti-lockdown, anti-rioting bills like DeSantis has to protect self-defense, to protect business owners from looters and rioters, to protect motorists who are surrounded by bloodthirsty, blood libels matter mobs. In addition, legislation that takes away some of the discretion from these county judges for repeat violent offenders, more mandatory minimums, more stand-your-ground laws. Obviously, in every one of these states, you would have immediate legislation and again, a unifying slate of candidates that run on this of election integrity. Proof of citizenship to vote, obviously photo ID, no mail-in ballots, no early voting or at least severely limited, make election day election day, no ballot harvesting, no drop boxes. And then when the federal courts come in, you tell them to pound salt. You just told us federal courts that this is a state issue. So we're not going to play your one-way street anymore. We're a sovereign state. We're going to do what we want. If California could allow in illegal aliens, we could have election integrity for Americans. And then all of the things Biden does, you just, he's an illegitimate president. Fine, you're sworn in. There's nothing we could do to stop you from uh, negotiating with Iran and whatever other uh, terrorist and dictator you like. But if you're going to run our lives domestically, just know that's not going to happen. So when Biden pushes refugee resettlement again, like, hey, buddy, we're not doing this. We're not doing this. This is so achievable. This is where the fight is at. There is no reason why we can have 20, 30% of the country easily as godly, as conservative, as constitutionally moored as California is lunacy. Can I get an A woman from you guys? And speaking of A woman and A men, COVID fascism is kind of like the A woman of science. There's a lot of news on that front. And again, these are the type of things that we need to get in the faces of um, some of these elected officials. With the help of some friends, I dug up some data on Florida that I think should put to rest any notion 
that somehow hospitals are at apocalyptic levels and put to rest any notion that those levels rise and fall based on masks and and, and lockdowns. Because guess what? You go to Florida, what we discovered is that the level of hospitalization right now in Florida with no statewide mandate or lockdown, and that's been that way since the end of September, their levels are basically on par with the January, Februarys of a flu season. Of the more virulent flu season, I would say, to be fair. Although I believe it's really a regular flu season when we get done with the data. This is straight up data. I want to be very clear. A lot of numbers are thrown around. So there's a question of what's a COVID hospitalization, right? Because COVID is like the cold now. It's rampant. Everyone winds up getting it. And a lot of people are in the hospital for trauma, broken bones, heart procedures, whatever. So a certain percentage of them will happen to have COVID too, but they're not necessarily there for it, but that's counted. So it's a question of, so if you look at the number of COVID patients, that's not a good number. The most accurate number is to look at the hospitalization census, the top line number. How many people are in the hospital? Just like we talk about excess deaths. You know, we want to know what's a real COVID death, what's not. Well, what are the excess deaths? If there's a significant number of COVID deaths, you'll see a significant number of excess deaths. So likewise here, if there really are a significant number of COVID hospitalizations, meaning it's extra, people are coming in because they can't breathe in very, very, very large numbers, you're going to see that in excess hospital census. So if on any given day in a state, you normally have 40,000 people in the hospital, well, I would expect to find 80,000 people in the hospital right now based on what we're doing. Turns out, that's not the case. Basically, if you look at the number of people in the hospital. So what I did is I took a 90-day window, a quarter. Because Florida has historical data by average daily hospital census by quarter. So what I did is you you go to you, you can go to HHS website and they publish that data every day for every state the hospital census. So what I did is in order to get apples to apples, I compared the fourth quarter of this year. I took the whole fourth quarter, so I could compare to a historical quarter that the Florida Agency for Healthcare Administration publishes. And basically, what we found is that if you take the ninety day average. So some days are a little bit more, some days are a little bit less. But if you average out October, November, December, that 90-day or so window, you will come out to roughly 43,000 people a day in the hospital in Florida. And basically, you adjust for... um, if you adjust for population, it works out to be 1998 per million people in the hospital in Florida on a given day. Last three months. Okay, just under 2,000 people, 1998. I went back and looked at the first quarter 
of 2018, which included that January with a lot of people from that flu. And if you adjust for the population back then, which was a little bit less, 1972. So 1972 to 1998. Tiny, tiny, tiny increase from then. And then we did nothing as a nation to limit people's liberties. So it's above average, a little bit more than the highest times we've had. Now, why am I comparing it to then? Because I think I have the right to do it because typically, you know, you say the fourth quarter of the, of this year was bad. Well, Daniel, wait till January, February when you have the flu, it's going to be even worse, except the flu is not there this year. So I have the right to compare it to the peak flu months of previous years because that's what we're at. COVID is peak flu. That is the flu of this year. This is the big lie. If this is the only flu, whether it immunobiologically locked out the flu because it predominates in circulation, whether some flus are being counted as COVID, but it really is the flu. I happen to actually think it's the former, but whatever, it doesn't matter. It comes out in the wash like a typical virulent peak flu season, which it's busy in the hospitals. But now I want to tell you now, you might say, well, then, okay, it's not apocalyptic, but you're telling me it's a little bit higher than the worst flu season we've had recently. Not really. Because there's a bunch of other factors we've spoken about before. So, first of all, just from a um, utility standpoint, a strain and stress standpoint, remember, we have thrown about $200 billion at the hospitals, something we didn't do in the 2018 flu season. So yes, they should be able to easily handle a lot more people than they did then. Okay, so that, I mean, we're already doing that. So where's the need for lockdowns? And again, lockdowns don't help because you could say, well, Daniel, the reason we don't have apocalyptic levels is because we're doing this. If we didn't, we'd have it. Oh, whoops, Florida. That's why I picked Florida as the control group. Florida doesn't have it. Not only don't they have it, but they have tremendous migration because, I mean, you could Google it. Tons of people are buying houses in South Florida now. And certainly you have people visiting and vacationing because, you know, you could do it more freely there. Anyone who wants to run a business conference there, an organizational conference, they have to do it in Florida now. Everyone's flocking there. So that should be the super spreading state. But anyway... The reality is, qualitatively, we are handling more people in the hospital than we do with a flu, but it's not indicative of more severity. It's because of several factors. So number one, off the bat, just quantitatively, even before we get the quality of the type of people in there, you know, in terms of quantity, it's not apples to apples because We've, we, we've been counting observational beds, where if you look at the census of any data from previous years, they count inpatient, meaning you're admitted for more than 24 hours, not an eight-hour observational bed. But HHS is requiring hospitals to include observational beds. So right off the bat, that's juicing up the numbers if you're making any comparison to another flu season. Then you have the fact that just in general – 
there was no panic in the 2018 flu season. I mean, not outside of just small circles. So typically you're like, oh my God, I got the flu. I got to run to the hospital. I mean, unless you really feel you have a problem or you're a type of person that's very vulnerable, you're not going to go. Whereas now, COVID is the death knell of civilization. So if you have it and then you have some symptoms, holy hell, I mean, do I need to go to the hospital? Maybe I need to go. And people are going. The threshold that's triggering people to go is much lower. Now you say, okay, well, you know, that's a layman, but the professionals at the ER, they're going to kick you out. They're like, you know, they're going to turn you down. No, they're not. They have a massive financial incentive that we've never had with anything else to admit you. But that's buttressed by several factors. The only FDA drug that has been approved is remdesivir. You need to be admitted to get a remdesivir. They don't treat you outpatient with it. So that's part of the problem that it's artificially juicing up the numbers with people that don't really need to be there. Mind you, it doesn't work. Mind you, there's things that do work that we could be prescribing and making available even without prescription to people as a prophylactics or or immediately upon getting symptoms that could totally reduce the hospital population when masks and lockdowns don't reduce it at all. But of course, what we can do, we don't do. So there's that. And then, of course, remember, a good number of these people are not there for that. For example, in Miami-Dade, the New York Times reported a couple months ago that a third of the people there with COVID... I'm sorry, um, a third of the people that came in for trauma had COVID. And that's counted as a COVID hospitalization. So my point is, when it comes out in the wash, it's hard to get an exact number. But if the starting point with all the bullcrap is that it's slightly higher, roughly in line with January of the 2018 flu season, when no one even knew about it outside of healthcare settings... When you factor all this in, it could very well be in line with more of a traditional flu season. And that's the reality. It's not that there's nobody in the hospital with a serious case of it, but they are not being overrun. So the entire impetus for this is built on a lie. And again, Florida, it's not like you say, oh, the state that that has it where it's not really much higher is the state that had a lockdown. And that's, no, it's the state that didn't. Fauci was out there today. He said, if this goes on, we're going to have to have a California lockdown nationwide. I mean, the guy is mentally ill. It's like a woman. California had the lockdown for eight months. It's like, you know, you have a place that, let's say, did something that worked. And you're like, look, if if this continues elsewhere, we're going to have to do what worked in this place everywhere. It's lost on them that California is the hotspot after eight months of having a lockdown. They've done everything that they've ever asked for. It's mentally ill. They get to shirk and shunt off the responsibility for the failure of their policies on us and blame us and take our liberties. This is the message. These are the type of points that need to be driven home in local media, local meetings, and local organizations at school board meetings, 
with health officials, with county commissioners, with sheriffs. In addition to obviously the constitutional case. But we've done this all for nothing. What Florida demonstrates is that after everything we've done to ruin humanity, to make it that we can't breathe as human beings without covering our face and all the damage that's going to be done to our kids, the suicides that are not just growing exponentially, but creeping into new demographics that we've never seen, such as preteens, 8 to 12-year-olds committing suicide, which is astounding. You just had a study out yesterday projecting 900,000 deaths over 15 years because of the unemployment created from the lockdowns. And that's just one thing. All for nothing. It's not like it's not worth it. It's not like, okay, well, it's not worth the benefit. There are no benefits. That's what we see. You know, it's funny. There was this LA Times columnist. You can look it up. What's his name? Steve Lopez. He got COVID after working for someone who tested positive but kept it a secret. And he's basically making our case unwittingly he talked about this guy who went to work and wore two masks and a face shield and maintained social distance and he got COVID not because he let his guard down not because he went to a party or took any stupid risks so many people have and basically he blames it on a co-worker that it feels like you know Tested positive, but didn't tell anyone. But here's the joke. So what if he tested positive? You were wearing two masks and a face shield. How did you get it? It's a complete joke. It's a complete joke. And they basically conclude, like, it's an interesting thing. It basically concludes, like, yeah. We got no choice. You just got to get the vaccine. Okay. Well, that's progress if we're admitting. See, that's one thing to say like vaccine fascism, but at least get rid of the other fascism. Right now, they're intensifying the fascism that is proven not to work. And here's the funny thing with the vaccine. Speaking of that, there are two studies out. Maybe I'll write, do a write-up on this. Two studies out now showing, remember this, you know, they're saying this could be 90, 95% effectual the vaccine which it's really not proven yet but let's say they're right there are two new studies out that looked six months after infection until now they only looked like three months they looked six months and they found a hundred percent of healthcare workers in one study a sample of 12,541 healthcare workers who had covid six months later they 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 found None of them had reinfection symptomatically. Two out of 12,541 had asymptomatic, which again gets very semantic here because is it that they really don't have it in the phony PCR testing? But the point is, like I said, this is the joke. They're all telling us infection doesn't convey immunity, but somehow a vaccine does, which is a joke. 
This is 100% effectual. When I say 100%, like anything else, it means immunity doesn't mean you can't test positive. It means you're not going to get a serious case of it. You're not going to get it and then get a serious case of it. And that's the joke. Kay Granger, that rhino dirtbag, by the way, from Texas, she tested positive yesterday and she supposedly got the vaccine. Now, they'll say it's only the first tranche and you get the second tranche. But if you need so many tranches, it's a, it's a joke. She tested positive. So they're they're telling us the vaccine is better than having it. It's a joke. Two new studies, massive samples. Six months later, nobody has been proven to have gotten a symptomatic case after getting it. Very few asymptomatic. And again, that's all a debate over do they really have it, but it's asymptomatically. Or is it bogus PCR testing? But either way, we don't need, I don't care if I'm immune to something, not having some swab shoved down my nose and being positive. I care that I want to be done with it and not get seriously ill from it. Like anything else. If you take anything else we're vaccinated from or that we already had and you test people, you know, a lot of people have latent um, tuberculosis where it's kind of like dormant. You have that with other things, even though you think you're vaccinated for it. We've just never taken a disease and decided to test a million or more than a million people a day. If you did that with other things, you'll find asymptomatic positives, whether they're real or fake, some real, some fake, with other things. We've never done that before. This is all built on a lie. According to CDC, a third of the country already had it. That means they're immune fully, without fascism, without mass, and somehow we're never adjusting our strategy. Like, it's not like, oh, you know, there's only a few people who got it, so we all have to be careful, so to speak, even though being careful doesn't help. A third of the country has gotten it already. It's got to stop. But it won't stop until we make it. The World Health Organization came out with a statement last week, and they said, you know what? COVID is not really the biggie. It's funny. They, they You know, I, I warned that they're going to use it against us, that COVID is not what they're saying it is. See, if COVID were like the bubonic plague, once a millennium, so like, yeah, okay, it's once a millennium. We don't have to worry about it again. But the reality is, it's a pandemic flu. It's worse than most flus we've had recently, but it's not out of this league. It mainly kills those that were going to die within the year, which is basically to say it's life expectancy. Doesn't mean nobody had, you know, it's not a threat to anybody. Certainly does mean we should be bulking up on vitamins C and D and zinc. And especially people that are more vulnerable should preemptively and, you know, with the guidance of someone who's competent, take hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. That actually works. But the reality is they have now raised the specter that for something this with, 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 with an infection fatality rate well under 1%, and for, for most people, it's really under one-tenth of a percent. With young people, with, with kids, it's like off the charts, and yet we're destroying their lives 
What are you going to do when you actually get another H1N1 type of strain that is more problematic to children? That's what the WHO is setting us up for. Ha ha ha. We lied. It's not really the big one. We got to be prepared for the big one. That's why it's never going to end because you always legitimately do have things like Ebola that are around that are very deadly. Now, the thing about those things, they don't transmit much, but they're going to cover that up. They're just going to say, oh, it's there. So therefore, now certainly, once you are willing to surrender your liberty for a pandemic flu, well, what about something that is on par with an Ebola? This will never end. And it's certainly not going to end with Kelly Leffler and David Perdue. It's not going to end with them winning. It's not going to end with them losing. That will not determine the outcome. The factors we have mentioned, the strategies we have mentioned on this show, at a state and county level, both our primary election focus, our media focus, our grassroots pressuring and activism an organizing focus. That's what's going to win this battle. There is no shortcut. There is no other solution. Other than recruiting Trump into the cause. Rather than having him outside the tent. Peeing in. As LBJ said. You want him in the tent. Endorsing the right candidates. Holding rallies against lockdowns. This is something this man can do. There's a lot of lemonade that could be made. Now look, tomorrow's the big day. We'll be reporting on it. We'll talk about what goes on with the um you know, the the whole battle on certification. It's vitally important. We're going to be taking names. And I just want to go back to that again. What I mentioned yesterday about this one-way federalism, one-way street, dead-end constitutionalism, where one side could violate the Constitution, and the only reason you're in that predicament is because they violated black and white provisions of every clause of the Constitution, and you're like, you can't do anything that's even a gray area, and you're left with that. Is that constitutionalism? No, because you are perpetuating an unconstitutional violation. You're, you have to look at outcomes I'm not saying the means always justify the ends, but you've got to look at a totality of circumstances. This is the point Lincoln made when basically Edward Bates, his attorney general, wrote a letter to, I believe it was the Senate Judiciary Committee at the time when Lincoln arrested people in Maryland without habeas corpus because Maryland was about to join the rebellion. And he's like, dude, what do you want from me? Like, you know... What do you think a rebellion is? They're violating the entire Constitution. That's the only reason why Lincoln was confronted with this. So what am I supposed to do? Say, oh, the Constitution. And, and mind you, it was a gray area. It's not like, you know, you, the question was, is it the president or Congress who could suspend habeas corpus during a time of rebellion? But suspending habeas corpus during a time of rebellion is in the Constitution. Just like the vice president and Congress counting the votes and conducting a vote on that is in the Constitution. It's in federal law since 1877. And this notion of being able to somehow reject it 
has been around on some level since 1796, 1824, a couple other elections, and certainly 1876. So, you know, some of my friends are like, I mean, the rhinos, obviously, they have their own motivations, but some of my friends, like Thomas Massey, you know, they're like, everything I do in life, if I take a move as as a congressman, it has to be 100% constitutionally sound. But it's like, well, I mean, you don't have the luxury of isolating one motion of vacuum. Ideally, life should work out that way. But often when you do that, you're actually perpetuating more unconstitutionality. You have to look at the whole circumstances. It's, it's the same principle that I'm saying with the police. I support law enforcement. I support law and order. But I'm not going to dogmatically in a vacuum support police in the environment we live in if they're using police against us. So in other words, if they're going to if police will not be able to maintain order against BLM and Antifa and violent repeat offenders, but then they're going to sick them on us when we defend our lives against them or with COVID fascism, dude, I'm going to join abolish the police then because I'm not going to have that be, meaning, if I dogmatically in a vacuum focus on, on pro-law enforcement, you're not getting an ordered liberty outcome. You're getting a tyrannical outcome in the environment we live in. And that's what you have to look at. They shredded federal and state election law. Multiple clauses of the Constitution. They shredded federalism for 15 years with election law. And won an election based on that. When prima facie, it doesn't make sense. You just look at the sheer ballots that were that were cast not pursuant to law, and the rough rates that Biden won those, and you look at the impossible rejection rates. And and, and there's your margin in every state. Before we get into anything else. We know that happened. Again, my, my, my challenge to my friends is, what if, let's say Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf were caught on tape saying, explaining how he stole the election and bragging about it. Let's say you, you, you found a tape. What are you going to do? Those votes are counted in the House and Senate joint session they're opened up. You have a vote. You Are you t- telling me you are compelled to vote yes? I am s- counting Pennsylvania's votes. Are you compelled to do that? It doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't make any sense. But, but anyway, folks, again, this is a sample of where our focus is going to be this month, this year. Let me know what you feel is not getting enough attention. Obviously, the next three days are going to be pretty intense. We're going to guide you through the tumult of what matters and what doesn't. But ultimately, remember, the stuff that happens this week is kind of cast. The die is cast. The question is what we do with it. 
what we do with it. The primary season starts now. The organizing and pressuring and proposing legislation and meeting with your state legislators, county commissioners, sheriff, school board officials is all the time. There is no off-season. The left never has an off-season. We never have an on-season. We never get involved. That has got to change. You have to step outside your comfort level. I understand you'll say, Daniel, you do this for a living. And I understand that. A lot of people are very nervous about speaking out. But just remember... I could earn my paycheck like some of my other colleagues and not get my hands dirty and just write and speak, do my thing and not try to be more effective in a new year and congratulate myself that I'm principled and I'm saying the right things. But I will look you in the eye and say, look, what I've been doing in my career so far has not been enough. We all need to do better. We all need to do more. We got to try new things. We got to try what works, and we certainly can't double down on what doesn't work. So I'll be happy when the Senate race is over. Because then we can get back to focusing any modicum of conservative grassroots organizations that we have that aren't a bunch of grifters on what will actually save some portion of the republic. You know, even Florida, even Florida, it's very tenuous. You have a good governor, he's just there. He doesn't necessarily have a movement of other Republicans with him. But if we knew that would be enduring with the entire Republican Party in that state, That would be a Patriot Party in the legislature, the other statewide officers, future gubernatorial candidates. I think a lot of people would consider moving down there. And Florida could be its own republic or de facto. Again, that is where the fight is. If there's one lesson we've learned from the tyranny, Corona fascism, it's that local government matters more than anything. You get the locals all in agreement, you're screwed. But likewise, we can get them in agreement in a good way. And if they're not, we need to make them. Again, if you think you could influence a presidential and senatorial race, then by a factor of a, of, of a thousand, you should be able to influence county races. Name, ID, money, organization, the bar to victory is much lower. So the asymmetry between us and the bad guys is, is, is much less. It's a much more level playing field. I'm not saying it's easy. But I'm saying it's much easier than at a grander level when you're talking about spending $10 million on a Senate race in Georgia, however much we spend, more than that. This is where the fight is. Again, let's keep organizing at minimum speak easy. Um... Maybe we'll organize a, a night session to meet and talk about this. If you come out and join me with uh, constitutioncoach.com, Front Sight Nevada, February 7th. I believe it's a Sunday. Good time to take a midwinter vacation. Let's meet together. Let's shoot together. Let's have a good time. And most of all, let's pray and strategize for new guidance to make this truly the year 
that we shall proclaim liberty throughout all the land. <laughs>